0: This is Candid Conversations with Dr. Mayfield, a podcast that resources families and friends with tools to have important conversations about mental and emotional health. This show is sponsored by Mayfield Counseling Centers, helping you find clarity, hope, and purpose. Here's your host, Trevor Sheeran. Thank you for joining us again this week on Candid Conversations. I'm Trevor Sharon, and I am joined, as always, by Dr. Mark Mayfield. How's it going? And today is a bit of a heavier subject, not as heavy as some that we've had. Uh,
1: We've kind of been lighthearted
0: over the last couple of episodes. Yeah, it's been kind of nice, so let's dive in and make us feel miserable. (laughs) Today we're talking about how to help in a hopeless situation, Uh, and I think we've a lot of us have experienced these moments where you have a friend or a family member or even yourself in what feels like a hopeless situation yeah. where things are out of your control. You can't fix things. You can't change much. You're kind of stuck in this situation uh, for however long, or your friend is, or your family member. And a lot of us, especially if you're listening to this show, tend to be helpers, individuals who want to assist and to aid. Right. And it's hard to do that in a situation where it doesn't look like you could do anything to change the situation. Think about this.
1: Most natural helpers are fixers. Hmm. Right. I mean, if you were to consider, if you think about those of you that are listening and I know you and I can think, we think about this all the time because we're challenged in this, that uh, it's our natural, part of the reason we're counselors is that it's a natural bent to help. Mm -hmm. Like that's just how we're wired. Yeah. But a part of helping sometimes gets crossed over with fixing. And so when you come to a situation where it feels hopeless, uh, fixing actually makes it worse. Doesn't it? Mm -hmm.
0: Can you explain just a little bit of the differences between help and fix?
1: I think a natural helper is we see somebody in need and we want to comfort. We want to come alongside. We want to make their situation better. Uh, I think that's the desire, right? So yeah. most natural helpers have this desire to see humanity be better, to see uh, their their world be, you know, happier or yeah. pain um, soothed. Right. Or... Fixing is we're going to do whatever we can to make that happen. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, if you're in a relationship with somebody, uh, you know that that often doesn't work.
0: Yeah. Um I'm thinking about like if your car is broken and you go out to the car and you say, "Hmm, it sounds like your engine isn't working very well." That really sucks. Right. I'm I'm really appreciative of who you are as a car. Like that's where helping is not going to make the situation yeah. better. No, there's time to fix. Because you have to fix right. and how it is equally true vice versa.
1: It is. Uh, and that's where I think in a lot of relationships uh I really encourage, especially when the counseling session, why don't you ask you know you ask the person that you're wanting to help? Mm-hmm. what do you need and take them for their word mm-hmm. because if I'm in a relationship with somebody and they say, Hey, I just need you to listen right now, okay, yeah, my natural fixing desire is still gonna be there, but they ask me to listen, so I'm gonna listen, yeah uh if I'm in you know uh, hey, I need you to come up with a solution, okay. I'm listening, and now I'm coming up with a solution. Right. Or fix this. Oh, okay. Got Good. it. Got it. Thanks. But I think a lot of times we misread those things, yeah. especially and in, in if you're not trained as a counselor or even if you're trained as a counselor. Right. Uh, and you're a husband like myself, and I get those choirs crossed sometimes at home. Uh, but in a helpless or hopeless situation, uh, I think is, it kind of hits home for our country if you think about mm. the rise in suicide. Uh, I was looking at the National Uh, Association for Suicide Prevention website the other day and they have a really interactive map where you can click on Colorado and it talks about the different demographics and the amount of suicides that have happened. Yeah. And then you click Montana and you click, you know, so you can click every state Uh, and it's, if, you know, as a professional, it's depressing. Yeah. But to be somebody that's listening that goes, okay, my neighbor's son just took his life. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to help. Right. That's natural. I want to help. What do I do? It's the care within a person for another. And I've seen so many people come through my office and through these doors that have had well-meaning neighbors and friends make it worse Hmm. by wanting, needing to say something. So think about maybe our listeners, think about last time that you were in a situation where somebody passed away or it felt hopeless and you had this urge to, to do something or to say something. What was that about? Yeah. It's usually about us, right? Usually about making us feel better. Right. And so we make a placation that is just stupid. I had somebody the other day say, I know this person was well-meaning, but I wanted to punch them. And I said, well, what did they say? They said, well, at least you have three other kids. Yikes. And I'm like. Yikes. It doesn't make it any better that the other, you know, the fourth child was the one that took their life. Or died in a car accident. or. Like, why would you say yeah. something like that? Or at least you'll see them in heaven. i like, you know, so we, we say, we say dumb things yeah. to make ourselves feel so better.
0: And I think a lot of it comes from our, in, our uncomfortability sitting with silence, which if you or want emotions. or emotions, those yeah. two, uh, I'd suggest going back to the podcast that we did about silence. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really fun, but. That I can remember times when I've been really hurting and there are people who even have, like, the right thing to say, something that does genuinely encourage me. or Sure. Uh, that. And what I really wanted in that moment was just for somebody to sit with me in silence in the midst of my pain and for me to feel it mm-hmm. and get it out in that moment because it was ready, it was ripe. Right. Rather than okay, now I've got to put it away and it's going to come out another time because it has to get out somehow. Mm-hmm. And I do feel a little bit better because you had the right word, but I really would have preferred that next week.
1: Well, it's interesting. I, I there's two things that come to mind. Uh, I, uh, there was a meme I just shared on social media that it was this individual. Hey, I see you're hurting. What do you need? And the individual goes, I, I don't know. And the other person goes, okay. And then just plops down next to him and grabs their hand. Like, yeah, that's beautiful. That's well, and you've perfect. talked
0: before about the Jewish tradition of sitting shiva, mm-hmm. and we see this in the Book of Job um, specifically, but as part of their culture, Job's friends sat with him in silence, not saying a single word. Yeah, other ones that tried to say stuff, but those were the. Well, and then when they started talking, that's when like everything goes to crap, right? <laughs> and Absolutely. Like, you you read it, and you are like. Oh, just stop talking. <laughs> right, just just go back to the the sitting in yeah. silence.
1: Well, it's it's amazing how presence is powerful. Mm. And you and I, you know, and I think a lot of counselors. Well, maybe not a lot. I shouldn't shouldn't say that. But some counselors understand the fact that our presence is more powerful than anything else. Yeah. And it's this idea that our and I think you were you can talk a little about this too. But our brain doesn't really fully function. Uh, our mind and our in our brain connection don't fully function unless in relationship with somebody else. yeah like we need to be in relationship. And that's uh, but when I say relationship, again, we have to define that because right. a lot of people think, well, I'm in a relationship. well, are you in a relationship that you feel seen beyond what's going on? Do you feel that you have some safety to be yourself and to be vulnerable? and then do you re- feel like you're gonna be soothed or at least cared for in that? Now I've got a secure relationship. And that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm not just saying, "Well, I'm married," or "I've got you know a mom or a dad." Right, but how how do they yeah. present? How do they engage? Yeah,
0: it's kind of like having a car, but is it working? Right, is it getting you anywhere? Yeah,
1: I've got a Mercedes. Great.
0: Does it run? Does it run? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the same concept. And there's been a lot of there have been a lot of studies about the process of change yep. and different things that. Um, help with change specifically around counseling. And this was something that I was shown like day two of my master's degree uh, was that the majority of the change process is attributed to things that a client does outside of the counseling relationship, which makes sense because if you're only in counseling for one hour, hour a week, week, right, there's so much more time outside of counseling than inside. And you're able to put things into practice, uh, and then the second most uh, influential aspect of change was the relationship between the client and the therapist.
1: Yeah. We're giving our secrets away here. Like, and, and honestly, I mean, I've i said this uh, jokingly, but there's some truth to it that I would prefer to work myself out of a job. Totally. Right. Cause that means that our community is doing what they're supposed right. to. Counseling came out of a, uh, a void of relationship. Mm. And you're right. The most powerful thing for change in a counseling setting is the therapeutic relationship, yep.
0: which goes to Irvin Yalom, a really well-known therapist, his concept of a paid friend. Right. Sometimes you just have to pay somebody to yeah. be your friend for a time, so that you can have that relationship. Your brain can catch up.
1: Well, that's why I, I, oh, you. That's candid conversations. I'm just going to go for it. That's why I despise the medical model, because it's let's throw a label on and give you some medication, and you should be okay but it's not teasing out any of the, the relational piece. It's not providing a place for being seen, being safe and soothed to develop a security. It's going, let's just like, let's take care of the problem and then you'll be fine. Well, no, it's not really taking care of the problem. It's masking the problem. Maybe giving you a leg up and that's fine. I think a lot of times there's people that are so steeped and so so deep in their struggle that medication kind of helps them take a deep breath and then therapy and the relationship starts to work, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's people, too, that are on medication for long periods of time, and that's fine, too, based on the needs, right? Yeah. But to jump into a medical model right away negates the power of that relationship. Yeah, now.
0: going to your doctor and filling out this 10-question thing that
1: you the doctor looks are at. Are you sad? Are yeah, right. <laughs> you mad? Know?
0: Looks, oh, you scored three, so let's give you this medication.
1: Right. I mean, I work with a lot of people that I've worked, you know, I've had a lot of people I work with, a lot, you know, for years and they're like okay do you think medication is something that's necessary and I said it might be something that you need to look at and here is a trained professional in this field that does med- you know will ask you more questions than I ask because they even though they are, have prescriber abilities they want to prescribe right. as a last resort oh so they're going to listen to me and it's not going to be a 15 minute conversation yeah, well, yeah. and then it's that collaborative that piece but but you know, back to our conver- our topic of if we were doing relationship well, if we were practicing the presence well, if we were uh, sitting in silence, sitting well. in silence well, uh, I think I'm just going to throw out a statistic, and uh, you know, I, but I would say maybe seventy five to eighty percent of counseling needs would go away. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I think there's there is legitimately those individuals who need professional care sure and there are a lot of people who just need care
1: right and it's
0: which professionals are more than willing to offer
1: but well right especially in our if if we're able to offer
0: care to others in an authentic way Mm -hmm. and in a way that is not trying to fix because i think there's a big difference and we've talked about it between fixing and care yep um you know and and to continue with the car analogy just cuz i think it has some value i have an uncle who really cares about his vehicles and i fix my vehicles the difference is his cars are nicer his cars look nicer his cars are detailed his cars are running optimally mm-hmm. because he cares about how they're operating, what's going on. And for me, if something's broken, I need to fix it. I need to repair. I need to make sure that it at least runs its bare minimum kind of thing. And that's what the car needs.
1: But I think a lot of times the fixing is a bare minimum. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's in relationships too, right? Yeah. That's a great analogy. Uh, And we're asking people to care.
0: Yeah. And when we're in that situation of hopelessness, we really don't need bare minimum. Sometimes, I mean, you could put it in a way where like we do need bare minimum, (laughs) but we, we need more than just how can I fix this? for you?
1: Well, I I think about, because I've worked with numerous families in this community that have lost a a child to Mm -hmm. uh, suicide. You can't fix that. Can't fix it. No. And, uh, you know, many, many of these individuals have said, I wish my friends would just say, Hey, you want to go play golf? Mm Mm-hmm. And just let's go play golf, yeah um and allow me to to laugh and to reminisce and to cry, but don't try to fix me yeah. but but people are scared of that, yeah, because you know it makes us uncomfortable, and that goes i mean we could go i mean right now at this moment we could splinter this conversation in fifteen different ways, right. but it's it it goes back to our own emotional intelligence, it goes back to you know our own uh Motives. I mean, a lot of different things into that. But if we're not comfortable and secure in ourselves, when we sit with somebody that's hopeless, it leeches onto us, and now we gotta fix. We want to fix it because we want to feel better, and that's not the point,
0: right? Yeah, and I'm, I'm wondering what it would look like for that person that you're thinking of right now, who's in a hopeless situation, to just invite them to coffee and sit and talk
1: about normal. Well, and I want to challenge our listeners to don't fall into the trap of asking somebody how they're doing when you already know how they're doing. You know, ask questions like, um, tell me about your week. Got any plans for this weekend? How's your journey up to this point? Right. Because if they're in a hopeless situation or a situation at this moment that is so deep and dark that they don't see the other side of it, asking them how they're doing just adds gasoline but to, to kind of come alongside and go, uh, you know, those open-ended questions for them to talk, you know, is is right. a big deal.
0: Open-ended so that you have the opportunity to talk about things that aren't what the problem that's going on, sure. but also making room for when that person is ready to talk about it. Yeah. It's available.
1: Yeah, I usually ask the question, what's your week been like? I recognize that there's some depth. You know, they can say, well, you know, this really good thing okay we're going good right sweet or man i was confronted with reminders of this individual five or six times and it was really hard and i just wanted to stay in bed and a couple days i did and, and one day i really pushed myself to get and you just okay yeah. okay how, how can i support you in the you know and you ask those questions more of how could i support you in this what do you need yeah and 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 i think that well, let me go back to retract that. What do you need question? Because I think a lot of times the individuals in the hopeless, they don't right. know what they, they don't need. Know. Uh, and so that's more of a placation again, I think of, of us going, okay, if they can tell me what they need, I can fit that for right. them and I can feel better. Um, and the the best things I've seen is, you know, opening and ended questions, let, letting them go wherever it goes yeah. and then going, okay. Or even given options,
0: being sure. able to say like, Hey, can I do this for you? Yeah. Yes or no. I mean there there's benefit to being able to
1: there is, but a lot of times in the early stages that's right
0: hard as yeah, well. Yeah, this is more of after it's been a time right. being able to after you've sat in the silence mm-hmm. and when it's time to start talking again. Right. There is room to be able to offer, Hey, can I can I take you out to coffee?
1: Yeah. Every well, Thursday or one of the things that's really that helped like. to, uh, help me with a friend that was going through something similar many years ago was, uh, you know, we. Uh, it was the first step. Hey, I'm taking you out for coffee next week. What works best for you? And they gave yep. me a date. Okay. And then in that moment of open-ended questions and just sitting with them would be, okay, same time next week. Right. Right? Not giving them an, an option in some ways. Uh, but also remembering to, and this is where I really want to be, be mindful. Um, and I, I've heard this numerous times this week and it just ruffles my feathers that there are no stages of grief. The stages of grief that we look at from a Kubler-Ross standpoint were were made for people that were dying. Right. So, Trevor, you've been diagnosed with terminal cancer. Okay, those stages of grief apply. Right. Anger and denial and all that kind of stuff. But for somebody that has lost somebody, there are no... I mean, there are... There's this, there's this, um, model that's kind of like this valley and there's potential feelings. And then, you know, as we come up, there's more potential feelings, but usually I draw with my clients. I'm like, I draw just this messy line and the feelings and everything like right. that. Cause everybody's process is different. I'm working. And
0: on, you process grief differently every single time.
1: Right. And so, uh, you know, I've got something that's going on in, and near and dear to, to my heart and everybody is, is processing and grieving differently. And I had somebody ask me the other day, I said, is, is, it a, is it normal for somebody to grieve this way? And I said, what is normal? Like, yeah, if they are not able to get out of bed three months from now, maybe we should be concerned. But right now, if they're not getting out of bed, they're not getting out of bed. Right. That's okay. You know, to be honest, my way of dealing through grief is I'm going to be busy. I'm just going to. Not, maybe that's not healthy. I don't know. This is kind of a high process, and if, yeah. if emotion comes up, I you know now I pay attention to. Okay, I'm feeling kind of sad today. Yeah. I'm not going to judge it. I'm not going to uh, wish it away. I'm just gonna. It's, it is what it is today. Yeah. You know, and um, you know, I I don't cry. I, I cry when I watch movies and that kind. Of, I mean, I mean, but when it comes to grief and that kind of stuff, if the tears come, tears come. Mm-hmm. But for others, you know, maybe they won't shed a tear. doesn't right. mean that they're not grieving any differently than the person sitting next to them, right? And so I think I wanted to make very clear that as you're walking with somebody and they're not doing it the way you would do it, doesn't mean they're doing it wrong.
0: Right. And that the stages of grief don't apply unless you're, you're the one diagnosed with a terminal
1: oh, something. Man, I wish we would. I mean, I don't know how this got taken onto the bandwagon that well these are your stages of grief and then cause I, I remember many years ago somebody goes that was a bunch of bs like I'm not going through all these stages what's wrong with me and I'm like nothing because uh, <laughs> somebody told you wrong <laughs> so I want to make sure that our listeners hear that too
0: yeah and i think that it that applies to any kind of loss or struggle in a hopeless situation there's a real similarity to grief cuz Grief isn't necessarily just the loss of a person, right? No, it can be the loss of a situation of an ability. It can be a dream, a whole dream. Yep. Yep. I want to have um, uh, an individual I know, Jesse Steffes, who uh, does grief work on at some point to talk about grief in a layman's perspective, because it's, I think it's really helpful, like we've talked about before, to have some understanding
1: of what generally goes on sure. and some education around it to be able to help yep i think it's great so if you're in a hope you know have a friend that's in a hopeless situation or you yourself in a hopeless situation um take stock of those in your life that you can surround yourself with that can yeah. be just a great presence and as dr Yalom would say it's okay to pay a friend totally so find a counselor that works in your area that's like-minded that can walk with you through this it could be six weeks it could be six months but you know you might need that yeah
0: feel free to reach out to us we'd love to help you get connected with a therapist here or elsewhere Uh, you can do that 719-452-4803 or you can email us candid at mayfieldcounseling.com thank you for joining candid conversations If you would like more information, you can email candid at mayfieldcounseling.com or call 719-452-4803.